We are encountering silence. Encountering silence is made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Please visit patreon.com slash encountering silence to learn more about how you can be a part of the circle and share in our efforts to bring silence into our all too noisy world. This is part two of a multiple part interview. To hear part one, listen to last week's episode. I'm learning so much right now, so Mm -hmm. I'm just a little bit in awe and really, really grateful to be speaking with you. I would love to reflect a little bit on your personal practice as an editor in terms of, you know, like you said, you ended up with 600 pages for um, the beloved book. And I, I wonder what kind of a practice you use to narrow things down and to determine what pieces to use, what pieces to share. Is that a part of um, praying? Is that, you know, I just wonder how you get there. Wow. That's such a, thank you for asking that. Sure. Um, And I get to answer it. That's wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Well, you know what I, Henry now and how he worked, it was always through, if, if, you know, look, he wrote 39 books. Well, how did he decide what to write on? How did he, where did he decide to put his energy? How did he, you know, he had invitations and more invitations than he could say yes to. He had to say no to some things. Um, so what did he do? He had a lot of people. He always was responding and listening. We haven't actually spoken about listening yet. And that's a really, really important theme too in silence. He was a really good listener. You know, people would, people would say that he, um, when he was listening to you, if we were, if you were speaking to Henry now, and it would feel like you were the only person on the planet. He was that that engaged with you. He was listening with every fiber of his being. And he did this not just, you know, every once in a while. This is how he was. And what he was doing then is he would he would be listening to people to 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 their hearts, what was on their hearts. And if there if you know if there was anything about Henry now and he, he could be impatient with people who were who weren't able to go with him to that level. He he absolutely if a person could go deep he would go deeper and then they would go deeper. He loved that, that, that would be his, you know, he could do that forever. Um, he would get frustrated if there was people who wouldn't or couldn't do that. Um, so that's, I guess, to say that how Henry Nowen made choices about where to put his energy, it was through listening to the people around him and what, what, were, what were their, what was their despair? What were they struggling with? What were their fears? How could something he said bring that person closer to God? And I think in my work, what I've tried to do, certainly with the with the letters book in particular. So I edited Henry Nowen's letters. There was 5,000 letters. He received 16,000 in his lifetime that he kept. And then we collected, um, we went up to those people, we wrote to those 60,000 people and asked them for their letters and 5,000 people responded. So we had, for my, for this book, I had 5,000 letters to choose from. So how did I choose? And I really did, I, I, 
I, I try to enter into that spirit of Henry now and what do people need to hear right now? What's on people's hearts right now? What is, what is causing them grief? If my friends were going through a divorce, what, what letter here would, would speak to them, would help them live the experience of getting divorced in a, in a way that was, could be as fruitful in Henry Nouwen's words as possible. And, and I think that is how I try to center my self when I'm doing like this. As an archivist, I had really good training in this because an archivist really, the scholar is the one who you know, is going to get the accolades, right? They're going to write the book. They're going to get there. And the archivist was the one who found all the material for them, but you know, <laughs> yeah. don't get any recognition. And, and, and I think that in a way, my personality is such that I like that position. And so being an editor is good because I don't, I don't feel any, you know, sort of, I just want to get out of the way. Just like, how mm-hmm. can I make, make Henry Nowen, who has died, you know, 24 years ago, how can I help keep his voice, which I believe um, very strongly is very needed in our world right now. How can I bring it to people so that they can hear it and his his voice really is a gentle voice. It's really not a coercive or or he he's not he he does have a gentle way of presenting things, and I and I try to be that way as well. I think as a real person of God, as a real um, because he really did so he really did live from the center of his being, which was where God dwelled. He really was able, I don't want to make him into a saint or anything, but I think he was able to 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 give from that place in a very generous way. You know, that that process really speaks to not only the content of this this latest work, Following Jesus, but also the subtitle, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of getting in that that now in mindset, what's needed now, what's needed here. Mm-hmm. And you know, as a whole, like, and I think just hearing that process is really, really comforting and reassuring because, you know, to, to, uh, you know, just know that this process is, is as close to the heart of him as possible. It's really beautiful. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Could we unpack just a little bit what the book is about? You know, because it's just coming out now. And so <laughs> what, what, what is, so we have this title, Following Jesus, and the subtitle, Finding Our Way Home in an Age of Anxiety. What is the, what is the contents of the book that you edited? Okay. Well, what I think um, a good place to start is to say that this, th- this is based on ta- a Lenten talks that he gave in 1985 at Harvard. So at the time, there's two interesting things to know about that time. So 1985, he had Henry Nowen had been at Harvard for two years. He was absolutely miserable, like like the worst. Um, mm-hmm. He did actually go through a bigger depression a little bit later, but this was a very very low point in his life at Harvard. He found competitive. He found um, impersonal. He found he couldn't. He did actually make a very beautiful community there. He couldn't help but make communities, but still, it didn't seem to. There was competition with, with the other, um, with the people on on the faculty. They considered him a popular writer, which was a bad word in academia. And, um, and he was he was very unhappy. He had already left Yale, a tenured position at Yale, earlier 
to to do work in as a missionary in Peru and Bolivia. That right. hadn't worked out. He wasn't cut out for that type of work. Then he tried to do something called reverse ministry, which was to come back to the United States and speak about the oppression that was happening in Latin and Central America to an American audience to try to um, you know instill some kind of action on by American people. And um, that just exhausted him. Just He was very, very good at it. It was a 10-city ten, ten tour. He was very good at it. Um, but so the, by the time he got to Harvard, you know, things were, he's, he, I think he was saying to himself, well, maybe teaching is my call. Maybe that's what I should be doing. But then he was miserable. So he's given. So that that's one thing to keep in mind about about these uh, about this book, the context in which he's speaking. But then he was also in a place speaking to an audience that would have been, I think there could have been some people in the audience who would never say I'm a follower of Jesus, right? Like it was. A, this is Harvard. This is right. this is where you talk about you know you you sort of theoretical about, you know, let's talk theology, let's talk, you know, anything but about me as a personal follower of Jesus, right? There's right. there's a very, very different, it's very different to sort of talk about this, the, the, you know, the history of Jesus or the, the man of Jesus or the, you know, let's do some biblical exegesis about Jesus. But it's, it's a very, very different matter to call your talk following Jesus, which right. is what Henry Nguyen did. And he knew that the people in, who were coming to hear him would have been people wondering, mm, maybe this is a bit much for me, <laughs> you know? I think there, there would have been young people there, just like today, wondering why they should be Christians at all, um, when there were so many other options for them, um, where there was, you know, already kind of a... Um, wondering about the relevance of religion at, at all when when secular society was offering so many um, alternatives and choices. And so he was speaking to a bit of a, an audience that wouldn't have been there gobbling up his words. I think they would have been, I when I was listening to him, because that's how this book started, of me listening to the talks, um, I could feel him almost straining to reach the people there. But I also felt like he was also speaking to himself. So he was, this is what this is what's important to me. This is why I I I make the choices I make. And um and, and so I think that's why there is a there's a power to this book because I think it had, I think he he this was not um, just an exercise, you know, somebody saying, can you give us six lectures for the, for the Lenten period? This was him saying, why am I, why am I following Jesus and how do I follow Jesus? And this is his response. And I, it, it's true that I, I, I know him very well. And I, I feel like, although this book was, um, he, he gave these talks in 1985, I'm quite certain he would be very. Um, this this could stand as his as his sort of testament or testimony, his witness to what it means to being a follower of Jesus today. I think it's jumping ahead a little bit, but one thing I think he would add 
because he did give these talks in 1985 before he joined L'Arche, before he before he had that very deep and meaningful contact with Jean Vanier and Sue Mosteller and others in the L'Arche movement, he would have much more on community. It's mentioned a little bit here, but I think there would be much more. He, you know, he does talk about the importance of silence. He talks about the importance of prayer. He talks about the importance of service. He talks about the importance of gratitude, um, the importance of celebration, the importance of grieving. But I think there would be a section, and I was even tempted to add one, um, not not pretending I was Henry Nouwen, but finding his writing on community to add at the as a as an afterward. Um, because I think that that's what he would say. He says, this is missing. I I didn't know then in 1985 what I know now, which is that community is of primary importance at, to walk um, as a Christian, in the walk of a Christian. Um, and, and community doesn't mean like joining large. It could mean that. It doesn't necessarily even mean a church community, but it could mean that but it could be your family or, you know, an intentional community you've, you've um, joined or created. Um, but the, the importance for Henry Nouwen of being a follower of Jesus with others, we don't, we don't do it alone. He, he, I think he would put more emphasis on that if he were uh, writing this today, but otherwise I think it still stands um, as something he would encapsulate or, or write about now about what it means to be a follower. Well, Carl, do you have something here? Yeah, I'm curious, and I, I just may be displaying my ignorance here, which I'm pretty good at doing that. So, um, <laughs> but was was now in a poet? Did he did he publish poetry, or did he write poetry that hasn't seen the light of day? Oh, that's so. No, he he wasn't a poet. I I call him, I call him an artist, though. Mm-hmm. Um, I I I think that if I, in fact, I'm 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 writing a new book um, about the return of the prodigal son, and I'm I'm writing about how how that book came to be. And one of the things I'm writing about is that Henry Nouwen, he had the 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 soul of an artist, and so he became a priest, and he was a priest, and he and his love of God and and humanity made him a very good priest. But I think that part of what made him a really good priest is that he was such an artist at it. He, you know, he 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 sort of had this, you know, well, uh, one way of looking at it is he could, he could see, he could use his imagination in a way, in a way to, um, I don't know, excite people or to, to draw people closer. He was, so he had a kind of a fertile imagination and, um, he was able to see in art, uh, like actual, um, you know, phys- visual art, um, in a way that a lot of us can't. And so the, the, what I'm finding is that the part of the brilliance of the return of the prodigal son is that he's able to analyze and, um, have insights about Rembrandt's painting of the, of the parable because he had, he had the eyes to see it. He had, so he had eyes. I think Sue Mosterler says he had, he had, he had eyes in his heart. So, so a lot of us, you know, a lot of us are very, very focused. And I, I am in, in our heads, right? Like our eyes are in our heads and then they're transmitting information to our brains. And then we're processing and analyzing Henry Nouwen was often seeing from his, the eyes of the heart, which is a very mystical, it's, it's the way of a mystic. Um, And I, I would say that that's really one way of seeing him 
uh, as as an as an artist, but he didn't write poetry. But he did write beautiful prayers. Uh -huh. Yeah. Thank you. Okay. Thank you very much. Our conversation will return after this brief moment of silence. Please take a breath and be present in this 30 seconds of silence. So one of the questions we really like to ask is if you have a silence hero, and I'd like to propose doing this in two parts. I would like to ask if you had to guess who Henry Nouwen's silence hero may have been, and then also for you personally, who your silence hero might be, you know, and that's can be dead or alive, someone that just embodies what silence means to you and for you. I've, I've, I've never thought about this. I mean, I could say who Henry Nouwen's heroes were, like, you know, who who are the most the people that most influenced his life. But in terms of silence, that's a different way of approaching it. Mm. Because one, one person that he would consistently say is Vincent van Gogh, or Vincent mm. van Gogh, as a, as a Dutch person would say. Well, um, I mean, and that makes sense to me because you just told me about his 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 passion his his artistic eye and and we talk about on this podcast all the time that artists tap into silence you know so yeah. that makes sense to me actually yeah yeah so and I and I think that what he saw in Vincent Van Gogh Gogh wasn't wasn't all the art the phenomenal artistic technique and and you know the brush strokes and the you know the originality and all of that it was more that he saw that Vincent van Gogh was painting was painting from a place of I don't know if it would be silence but painting from a place of compassion Henry Nouwen Henry Nouwen would talk about compassion the compassionate art of Vincent van Gogh and 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 I think so so when Henry when Vincent would look out on a field and you know the sun would be going down and it was very beautiful but somehow he managed to you know, put two figures in the painting that would be, that somehow would be all of humanity leaning against the haystack, right? Like there's right. That, 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 he had that way of speaking to our condition in a way. So maybe, maybe that would be one of my answers for uh, Henry Nouwen's someone who he, he was heavily, heavily, heavily influenced and um, by Vince Van Gogh. He said that, he said that he actually, carried like some of us might memorize the psalms or might memorize you know some, something from scripture he memorized paintings and he he had them in his heart he called them in, in it, he had a room in his heart for all of the paintings that he hung there um that he would call on when he needed consolation and hope wow so, i love oh. that it's not amazing that's great yeah i love it yeah um, okay, and my, um, I'm going to mention someone new just because I have already obviously mentioned Lawrence Freeman, who is who has been very important to me. Henry Nouwen has been very important to me. Jean Benny has been very important to me. But um, another person who um, I attended a, 
a retreat this year, this summer on um, the, the Celtic School of Consciousness. And mm -hmm. I was with John Philip Newell. Mm -hmm. And that was a very, very beautiful experience. So to, I, I knew, you know, John O'Donohue is, is um, I, I actually probably should mention him for, he, it, John, John O'Donohue is Anamkara, his book on beauty, any, any, just hearing him just, just sets me into some sort of different, I, I don't know, just put, sets me on a different course. I don't, I don't know how he does it, but um, John O'Donohue, but he has died as well. And so John Philip Newell is bringing the Celtic way of understanding our place in the world to us and um, to someone like me. And, and, you know, it was, it's very nature based. It's very, um, you know, go, he, you know, during the retreat, we would just go and you know, see what you're drawn to in nature. And, you know, I, I would be drawn to this magnificent oak tree and just spend time in silence with the oak tree or whatever it was that, you know, some people were drawn to large stones or water or the sky or, but I, so there was something very um, beautiful about a Christian way that is so tuned into nature. And then the Celtic way is also um, celebrates the feminine and and that that is so refreshing um there's this real it's not like the feminine is better than the masculine but there's but there is at least a recognition of the wisdom of the feminine which is in of course both genders and all genders um so it's not just a you know we're not polarizing but it's that it's that sort of celebration of the feminine in the celtic tradition as being taught by John Philip Newell that is also um you know sort of there's a unity that there's a unity to the world and to to the human place in it that I find is probably the next I'm 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 going to be exploring this more because I feel even with all of my everything that Henry Nowen continues to give me there are there that the the emphasis on nature and our and our connect to nature it's not like it's not in Henry Nowen but it's not his main focus and also um the the idea about restoring feminine wisdom to the Christian tradition is also something that I think I I'm drawn to now so it's like that's 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 what's rising in me and I don't know where it's heading but I certainly did enjoy attending the school for Celtic consciousness it was it was wonderful cool we had a, an interview with a woman named Kathleen Degnan a couple of months ago who has edited some of Merton's material. And she told us about an Irish writer named John Moriarty. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so if you, if you love John Philip Newell and you love John O'Donohue, you might want to check Moriarty I've, out. I've, I do know him. I do know him, actually. Yeah. I nearly attended. He, there was a John Moriarty pilgrimage this summer that I really wanted to attend, um, but it didn't work out with my schedule. And so I did the School of Celtic Consciousness instead. Mm -hmm. But yes, John Moriarty is very much in that tradition of John O'Donohue and right. John Philip Newell. Yeah. And there's a, a wonderful writer, um, Esther Duvall. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yep. So there's, yeah. there's, there's, there's several people who are trying to recover the Celtic tradition in the, the Celtic Christian tradition. It's fascinating that you say that you're talking about this re the recovery of the of feminine wisdom um, in the tradition, and uh, I've been pulled in that direction myself. That I've been focusing on wisdom, and and when you do that, you realize really quickly when you start to scratch at that surface that 
way back early on in the tradition, wisdom is a feminine voice. Um, mm-hmm. And I've been doing a lot of research of independent scholars and stuff. So if you don't know the scholar Margaret Barker, she, no. she, she's an independent scholar. Look her up. Uh, she's a biblical scholar. And she is she basically uncovers that the ancient Hebrew and Christian path, uh, there was a wisdom piece and the Celtic voice of wisdom and feminine. It's all mm-hmm. part of this piece. So mm-hmm. that's an aside. That's really not, I'll, well, I'll be but, adding. I mean, it adds to the richness of being a Christian. And right. it adds to, for me, it adds to my conviction to be a follower of Jesus. Right. You know, that that's, it, it's like, well, what am I, what am I signing on to? Right, 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 right. And, and, and if, and if Christianity was all spoken in the way that Henry Nouwen speaks about it, sign me up. Right. But hmm. unfortunately that's not, that's not how Christianity for the, for the most part is, is lived or spoken about or presented. You know, we've got, a, there's, it's quite a drastic difference between what people think Christianity is and what Henry Nouwen Henry Nowen is actually calling us to, to consider. And so, so I think, and, and that's, I think that that's something that why Henry Nowen is so important right now, because there's a very strong voice, especially in America, you know, I'm Canadian, but in America for, for a very, a, a kind of a rigid black and white kind of Christianity that, and, and so then, People think that, well, that's what it is. And, oh, I don't want to have anything to do with that. Right. Or they think, oh, I, I love this. I've got to be, you know, this has got to be, everybody should be doing this. But Henry Nouwen is, it's it's so much softer. It's the, you know, he's, he talks about the, the voice of love. The voice of love isn't in the earthquake. It isn't in the thunderstorm. It isn't, it's the, the voice of love is, is, is in, it's just a small, quiet, in the breeze, you know, so you have to be silent to hear that. Mm-hmm. You, you, you can't, you can't be noisy and bombastic and have the answers to everything, you know, and, and kind of, there's, there's something beautiful about Henry Nouwen's way of expressing his own path as a Christian that we're not asked, he's not asking us to be like him or emulate him, but he is saying, does this resonate for you? Is there, is there anything about what I'm saying here that that maybe this is how you might want to walk as a Christian, and 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 I think that that and just keeping that kind of invitation open is so is so needed right now. You know, you probably are familiar with the quote from Karl Rahner that the Christian of the future will be a mystic or will not exist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I think what you're describing, and you you earlier I think you did mention that 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 you saw Henry Nouwen as a mystic. And, and I think Nowen and Richard Rohr and uh, Cynthia Bergeau, Mary Margaret Funk, yeah. of course, Merton. I would put Mary Oliver into this category. Um, you know, these people really do present, and, and all of the Celtic people that you mentioned as well, represent that more mystical heart, which unfortunately that kind of heavily politicized religion that we see here in the United States, especially, but also in other parts of the world, I think is, is a real departure from that, that heart, that heart that's found in the desert mothers and fathers that's found in Julian of Norwich and Hildegard of Bingen. Mm. Um, you know, there's, there's, that's a beautiful, beautiful tradition. And all, what do all these people have in common? They were all custodians of silence. Right. You know? Yeah. I think it is. A, I think it's a, 
it's an essential part right. to yeah to be able because Henry now would speak about how the the I think the the more silent he became the more connected he became with God the more that he was able to hold the heart the like the sorrows of the world mm. right it's not like he disengaged them from the world it's almost like he became more more compassionate for the sorrows of the world and we need more people like that people who can hold people who can hold the sorrow of the world because that's we are a grieving world where where there's we we need people who can hold and stand tall in the grief in 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 our own grief and then stand tall in the grief of the world right and in fact this this book following jesus does have a, a um uh, a section on grieving and mm-hmm. because i think that we as a society I think we have to remember how to grieve collectively as well as individually, because we are in a, we're in a state where we're in constant grief and what, what do we do with it? How do we, how do we continue to be loving when we're grieving, when we're in, we're in pain, when, when we feel fear, we're, we're afraid that our planet is going to, um, we're going to lose it. Um, so yeah, I think, I think that silence is more important than ever. Mm. Well, I thank you so much for your time. This has been just wonderful. I feel like I've just found my tribe. I really appreciate uh, you you doing this. And as ever, Henry Nowen is opening doors to meeting people that I've probably, I would never meet on my own. So I really appreciate that. And I appreciate the work you're doing. I think it's really important. And I love the way that you're all three of you are doing it together. I love that. Yeah, I was just gonna say, yeah. We, I mean, this is a passion for each of us. Yeah. And um, and you know, we we appreciate how much you you drew, connected those dots in terms of of who Henry Nowen was, but also his love for silence and his spiritual heart. Um, I think that um, you certainly have opened him up for me. I. I think the first book I read was The Way of the Heart, and I bet I read that 20 years ago. You know, right. so I've been I've been familiar with Henry Nowen for quite some time, but but I, I learned some things today. So thank you, well, thank you great. so much. Yeah, that's great. well, thank you. Yeah, and I just want to say I completely understand being a behind the scenes person, and <laughs> um, but you know, without without you and your work, um, we wouldn't have great pieces like this new book that you've made. So right. um, thank you for that behind the scenes work because it is hugely, hugely important. And um, yeah, we're all very grateful for it and well, grateful you. for your wisdom. Thank you. Well, thank you for your time. All right. Goodbye. Thank Bye. you. Bye-bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Talk to you later. We are Encountering Silence. I'm Kevin Johnson. To learn more about me, please visit kevinmichaeljohnson.com. I'm Carl McCollman. Find out about my work at carlmccollman.com. I'm Cassidy Hall. My website is cassidyhall.com. Please visit the podcast's website at encounteringsilence.com. There you can learn more about each of our episodes and find links to purchase books and other resources we discuss on this podcast. When you make a purchase through a link we provide, the podcast receives a small affiliate commission from Amazon.com. Thank you for doing so. Please also visit Patreon.com slash Encountering Silence. 
to learn more about how you can be part of our circle of supporters. Our circle of supporters help tremendously in sharing our efforts to bring meaningful conversations about silence to our all-too-noisy world. Thank you.